one psychologist, 20 plus years of experience, and thousands of patients. I'm Dr. Jennifer Pavlik Bellingrot, and you're listening to the Psych with a Mic podcast. Let's get to it. Hey guys, I'm coming right out of the gate with a hard truth today. You have issues. Yes, you. Trust me, you do. How do I know this? Because we all have them. I've been inside the minds of thousands of people from all walks of life, all different backgrounds and educational levels, all levels of success and failure, you name it. I've seen it all. I've therapized millionaires, generals, wildly successful entrepreneurs. I've walked through the lives of the abused, the impoverished, and those who feel like perpetual failures. And there's one commonality among them. They have issues. No one is exempt from the blessing of challenges. I have them too. I know. Shocking, right? Psychologists have mental health issues? What? Yep. I have issues too. Okay, full disclosure, in the interest of keeping it real, my own biggest challenge personally is anxiety. I'm very often an overthinker. And while this serves me well in my job and some other places, it causes problems too. I'm a worry wart, a ruminator, even a perseverator at times, and it can really get me down sometimes. One of my girlfriends has a shirt that says, Hold on, let me overthink that for a minute. Yep, that pretty much sums me up. Fortunately, I have a shirt that says, Not today, Satan. So that reminds me to shift my focus and remember who's really in control. After being in mental health for decades and studying the psyches of thousands of people, I'm certain that you can't live this life for more than a few years without developing at least a couple of issues. I think it's just a standard part of the human condition, actually. Why is this, you ask? How does this happen? Well, the answers include both nature and nurture. So let's take a look at what that means. To start, nature refers to genetics, the DNA you inherited from your parents. So we can inherit both physical issues and characteristics from our parents and other members of our gene pool, such as eye color, hair color, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, to name a few. We can also inherit psychological issues and characteristics from our lineage, such as anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, OCD, schizophrenia, personality disorders, and so on. Sometimes these issues may seem to skip a generation. For instance, I've seen patients with bipolar disorder who had a grandparent with bipolar disorder, but it seemed to skip their parents. Now, obviously, the DNA for bipolar disorder had to pass through the parents to the child, but that same DNA wasn't activated in those parents for whatever reason. On the flip side, I've seen children of people with borderline personality disorder who don't manifest the disorder themselves. We don't know exactly why these kinds of things happen. At least I don't fully understand it yet. DNA is a tricky thing sometimes, and comprehending it is way above my pay grade. All right, in contrast to nature then, 
Nurture refers to the impact of our environment on who we are. This includes the prenatal environment and what happens to us after we come into this wild world. The prenatal environment may include disease, exposure to toxins, or just inadequate nutrition, for example. Our postnatal environment includes things like how we are raised by our caregivers, our childhood experiences, our family dynamics, our relationships with people outside our family, and the larger culture and society around us. The debate between nature and nurture is as old as time, and what we now know is that both are influential in determining who we become. Given everything that goes into these categories, it's easy to see that there are many opportunities for things to go badly. For example, even if your mom had great prenatal care and you had a solid, generally positive childhood, maybe you had challenges at school because you had poor grades or had an outstanding physical characteristic for which you were bullied. Those things impact your self-image and can negatively affect your self-esteem if you let them. If you didn't share what was happening with an adult and get some help for it, you could very likely have developed anxiety or depression as a result of the problems at school. What I tell patients is this. Everything that's happened to you up until the point you sit in front of me has influenced who you are in some big or small way. Even things we don't consciously remember may be stored in the subconscious mind and can influence us without our awareness. Think about it. If you have a traumatic childhood that you remember, that can obviously affect you by the time you reach my office. Maybe you have abandonment issues that cause you to be distrusting. Maybe you live in fear of being betrayed again by someone close to you. Maybe you sabotage relationships or shut people out so you can avoid being hurt again. Now, if something bad happened to you but you don't consciously remember it, you may still find that you're triggered by certain things. Or maybe you remember it, but you don't make connections to how it's affecting you at a certain point in your life. For instance, maybe you were sexually abused at the age of seven by the parent of one of your friends while you were having a sleepover at your friend's house. Years later, you have a daughter in your 30s, let's say. Then, when your daughter reaches the age of seven and starts talking about having sleepovers at a friend's house, you begin to have panic attacks that seem to come out of nowhere. Well, there's always a place from which they come, but maybe you aren't seeing the link between your abuse and your panic about your daughter having a sleepover. That is your subconscious mind at work. Now, when I lay it out like this, you can easily see the connection. But when you are caught up in the muck and the mire of your own life, sometimes it's difficult to see the forest for the trees. Impact can be much smaller as well. For example, if your drive to my office for your appointment was upsetting because you were cut off in traffic and nearly crashed your car, that is also part of your presentation when you come to your appointment. So everything that's registered by the brain on any level then can affect who we are. So often we expect ourselves to be robots and be unfazed by things, even emotionally significant things at times. Y'all, that's just utter nonsense. 
Our brains are always running, whether we like it or not. They run even when we sleep, constantly processing events and trying to make sense of them, consolidating information, bringing things back into awareness that we already put out, replaying situations, etc. It's just not realistic to think that this would not affect our emotional state or psychological functioning. I've even seen people tremendously affected by a dream they had, by something that wasn't even real. One patient had a dream that her husband was unfaithful. The next day, she remained angry at him for at least half the day, despite the fact that he was truly, supremely loyal and faithful and had never cheated on her or threatened to do so. If something like that, something that's not even real, can affect us so intensely We have to believe that real things, things that actually occurred, can and will have a significant impact on us. Now, like most things in life, psychological issues run on a continuum. Take depression, for example. On one end, you have what one patient of mine refers to as functional depression, where you have low mood, frequent negative thoughts, and a loss of interest or motivation but you're able to complete self-care rituals, go to work, pay your bills, etc. On the other end, you have depression that involves not wanting to get out of bed, defaulting on major obligations, and feeling suicidal. On either end, you still have issues that plague you and for which you would be best served getting help from a professional. Another example of this continuum is anxiety. Maybe you have significant anxiety that crops up when you're in social situations, but you're able to force yourself to go out even though you remain uncomfortable the entire time. On the other end, maybe you experience a panic attack every time you try to leave the house. Again, either way, your issues could be helped by treatment. A third example is personality. Personality changes proceed from features to traits disorders. And even within personality disorders, there is a continuum. For example, when it comes to borderline and narcissistic personality disorders, two of my favorite things to treat, by the way, there is variability in the number and degree of negative traits each person has. For instance, with borderline personality, you may see a person on one end of the continuum who is very internalized and has more self-injury and self-loathing versus someone on the other end who is very externalized and lashes out at other people and damages property. Let's talk a bit about having issues in relationships. So one of the most disconcerting and quite frankly laughable things that I hear in my office is from one member of a relationship who says that all of the issues in the relationship are the fault of the other person alone. Wait, let me understand this. You are perfect and your spouse is the one with all the issues, the one who single-handedly creates all the problems in your marriage. Are you kidding me right now? I can't with you. Come on, any relationship is a two-way street. Maybe a wife is very reactive to certain triggers, but it's her husband who triggers her most. Maybe unwittingly, maybe purposely. Either way, 
If the two of them want to stay together, they have to work on increasing their psychological intimacy to better understand what they're doing or saying that taps into the other person's issues and then make relevant changes. Maybe a husband is an alcoholic, but his wife buys his beer when she does the grocery shopping. It's not her fault that he has a drinking problem, but she is definitely enabling or inadvertently condoning his drinking by keeping the refrigerator stocked with his drug of choice. Okay, so what do we do about our issues? Well, lots of things can be done about your stuff. So I'm going to walk through seven ideas here. So grab your phone or a pen and paper and take some notes. Here we go. Number one, write about your issues and daily experiences. Get yourself a journal or a notebook. This is just for you. You don't have to share it with anybody if you don't want to, but rate your mood or anxiety on a scale of one to 10, maybe note any contributors to your feelings, maybe jot down negative thoughts you had, write about arguments or disputes you had with others that day, and so on. Then dissect your writing to look for underlying patterns of difficulty or trends of reactivity across situations and events. Once you figure out where the problem lies, you can help yourself. Number two, give it to God, y'all. Ask God to guide you to better mental health and maybe pray for help in identifying what your issues are and for guidance in finding the right person to help you overcome them. Remember that the first therapist you try may not be the one for you. There has to be a connection. Sometimes I'm the first therapist for people. Other times I'm the fifth or the ninth or the tenth therapist for people. You got to keep looking until you find somebody you connect with. Number three, manage your vulnerabilities by taking good care of yourself. Eat well, at least 80 to 90% of the time. Drink plenty of water, getting at least a half an ounce per pound of body weight. Exercise regularly, getting an endorphin release after just 20 to 30 minutes of physical activity. Endorphins are those free and happy and legal chemicals that our body releases with physical activity. Avoid self-medicating with alcohol or drugs when things get tough and get a good night's sleep each night, preferably eight to nine hours. If any one of these is off, it creates a vulnerability, which is a setup for failure. Vulnerabilities affect the way you process incoming information and respond to that information. Therefore, vulnerabilities can impact your mood, the words you speak, your emotional reactions to things, your behavioral choices, and so on. We've all been there. You're hungry, sleep-deprived, living on caffeine. This leaves you irritable and short-fused. Then, Your child asks you a simple question, and you bark back an answer. This is what vulnerability looks like. I know you've all seen the Snickers commercials where a normally calm, cool, and collected person is suddenly acting like a raging jerk. That is vulnerability. Once they take a bite of a Snickers candy bar, they're back to their normal state. I'm not saying candy bars are the answer to your anger issues, but Snickers has the right idea that not being hangry is crucial to decreasing personal vulnerabilities and maintaining that good interpersonal functioning, getting along with other people. So 
take good care of yourself so that you're not left vulnerable to having those poor responses. Number four, research your particular issues. For example, once you identify that you have problems setting boundaries or limits with others, let's say, do an online search for help with learning how to say no. You can search my website, drbellingrot.com, for relevant writing. Look under the resources tab on my website where I have books organized by issue category or just do a general web search for other options. If you don't already know, quick sidebar here, you can buy used resources on Amazon or visit your local thrift store or used bookstore. Also, thriftbooks.com is my favorite place for inexpensive resources. Number five. Ask people you trust for their honest observations of you or their candid input on what you could do differently or better. Number six, work through reputable online symptom checklists or other assessments to see if you are endorsing several symptoms of a particular condition or disorder. If so, reach out for a formal evaluation. Some worthwhile agencies in this regard include the NIMH, which is the National Institute of Mental Health, the WHO, which is the World Health Organization, or the APA, which is the American Psychological Association. Number seven, talk to a counselor or a therapist about your issues and ways to overcome them. Let me be clear here. You don't have to know exactly what's going wrong in your life to start therapy. You can take the journal if you want to share that with your therapist to give him or her an idea of what's been going on for you or where you're coming from. Or maybe you just know that you're happy more often than not, or that people say you have reactions that appear disproportionate to the situation at hand, or you're having sleep problems, or you feel unmotivated or you get really spun up or anxious when it comes to certain situations, or you just can't seem to make it in a romantic relationship, no matter how hard you try. A therapist's job is to thoroughly evaluate you by walking through your history and assessing your functioning in various areas of life. Then you discuss diagnoses and work together to come up with a treatment plan that works for you. Here's the thing, y'all. Life is short. It just doesn't make sense to suffer in silence. You don't have to anguish alone, and you can get better. We live on a planet of nearly 7 billion people, you guys, so you have to know that we weren't designed to go it alone. Reach out. Talk to someone. Ask for input. Get some help. You have nothing to lose but pride, which is dangerous anyway. And you stand to gain a whole new way of being, a whole new life for yourself, even. Life doesn't have to be so uncomfortable. I promise I have seen people make nothing short of miraculous changes in their lives. There is always hope. Always. And remember that small things, even, can make a difference. Just like a tiny pebble dropped in a large lake creates a ripple effect that can reach the banks, a small change in your life or routine can have a huge impact on your mood, your self-image, your success, your relationships, etc. 
Just changing the way you speak to your partner, your children, or others in your life can create a ripple effect. Adding just 20 minutes of exercise to your routine three days a week can have a huge impact on both your physical and psychological health. Start with something manageable, like saying good morning to your coworkers if you don't do that, reading a Bible verse or a motivational quote each day, not checking your phone right away when you wake up, and so on. In addition to starting small, the other key is consistency. You can't do something for a week and expect life-changing results. On average, it takes just over two months for a behavior to become automatic. In the grand scheme of things, two months is a drop in the bucket of life. Look at it that way and see what small changes you can start making today. Don't wait, just get started. So, to summarize our chat today, let's wrap up with some takeaways. First and foremost is that you have issues because everyone on earth does. No one's perfect except Jesus, and he's no longer on this earth because he's partying in heaven right now. Number two, having issues is nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, it's simply part of being human and existing on this planet for more than a minute. And number three, on this planet of nearly 7 billion people, we weren't designed to go it alone. So talk to someone, get some help, figure out your issues, and start with making small changes to live your best life. Get to it. And just a quick reminder that the material in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used to diagnose or treat a mental health issue without consulting a qualified provider. If you or someone you know is struggling with a psychological issue, help is available. Just reach out to your insurance company and find out what the options are under your particular plan. Or for more information on teletherapy or coaching sessions with me, you can visit the Frequently Asked Questions section at drbellingrat.com. And if we aren't already connected on Facebook, head on over and look me up. Be sure to click follow so you can be notified of the release of podcasts, blogs, and videos on all things mental health related. Just search Jennifer Bellingrat on Facebook. That's B-E-L-L-I-N-G-R-O-D-T. And you can also check out my videos on YouTube by searching for my channel, Mend Your Mind. Take a look at the show notes for more information. All right, that's it for today, y'all. Thank you so, so much for listening in. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would greatly appreciate your review. You can click five stars and then you can leave a comment or two about what you found helpful in the podcast, what was particularly useful, or what you'd like to see for podcasts in the future. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I wish you peace, blessings, and fantastic mental health. Take good care.